In the fall, we started a little series on faith where essentially we were doing a verse-by-verse walk through Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter in the Bible. And then, of course, we took a break for Christmas as when it's Christmas time, you have to talk about the Christ child and the incarnation and the implications of all of that. And then at the beginning of the year, we did a little series on how to deal with difficult people. And then last week, Mark came and spoke for the D-Now weekend. But today, what we're doing is we're jumping back into this series on faith. We're going back to Hebrews chapter 11. And it's not simply because we didn't finish the chapter. It's because the subject of faith is incredibly important because faith is what gives you strength in your life. It's not that we have faith in faith, but if you if you understand that faith connects you to God and that God is the ultimate source of life and of power and strength, you recognize that if you don't have faith, you're not connected to the strength and the power and the sustaining ability of God. And you also have to know that you're not going to make it through life. You're not going to be able to navigate life unless you understand something about taking steps of faith. Even people who say, I'm not a person of faith, I don't know that I, I believe all that stuff, they're still going to talk about how they take steps of faith or make leaps of faith. It's just not possible to navigate life without trusting in someone or some ones or some things. We just go through life placing our faith and stuff. We take faith steps all the time. The question is, are you taking them appropriately or are, are the steps that you're wanting to take, are you able to take them even though you don't want to take them but you know that God's wanting you to take them? How do we take the steps of faith? Because all of the big stories, the compelling stories of greatness in our culture, in some respect or another, they re- revolve around people, men and women, who take powerful steps of faith. Just think about the military. In, in the military, you've got a private who has faith in a greater cause, maybe faith in the country, faith in the commander's commands and the commands of the commander coming from other commanders. And the private just kind of knows, I don't need to know how all of this is connected. I just trust that I've got to do my part and whatever it is that I'm being told to do, I better do it because the commands that are given to me in some respect or another are connected to the commands of someone else. And so the private has faith in the cause and faith in the commander and the commander's commanders and faith that somehow everything is connected, and I don't have to see how it's all connected. I just have faith. And so on that basis, oftentimes you're going to have people in the military who will risk their lives or even give their lives, and they don't know all that much about how everything is connected, but they've got faith. And it's the steps of faith that actually win wars. How many of you all remember the, the movie? And I know it's just a movie, but it's based on some fact. The 2001 movie Pearl Harbor. You remember that one? It, it kind of tra- traces some of the events leading up to the attack on the United States and then some of the immediate events thereafter. And you remember the story of Pearl Harbor. J- Japan attacks us on December 7, 1941. And in the movie also it traces the relationship between these two young men in particular, these guys who have been childhood friends and, and they're, they're inseparable and they become fighter pilots. Uh, Danny, played by Ben Affleck, and, or no, that was Rafe played by Ben Affleck and then Danny played by Josh Hartnett. Um, they're inseparable and they become pilots and they're stationed together in Hawaii. Well, then, of course, the attacks come from Japan. And these two young men get called into the office of Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, played by Alec Baldwin. It's amazing how everybody in the military is so attractive. And, uh, and they get called into his office and and Jimmy Doolittle is standing behind his desk and he's addressing these two hotshot pilots because they've 
managed to shoot down seven Japanese aircraft. And here's how the conversation goes. The colonel says to, to, to both of them, you've been awarded the Silver Star. You've, you're, you're just about the only pilots with combat experience. I need you for a mission. I've been ordered to put together for the military. And uh, Rafe and Danny, they're kind of nervously excited. They kind of anticipate some more conflict. They're sort of looking for it. And the colonel says, do you know what top secret is? And, of course, Ben Affleck's character says, yes, sir. It's the kind of mission when you get medals, but they send them to your relatives. And ignoring the remark, Colonel Doolittle addresses both of the men again and says, top secret means you train for something never done before in aviation history, and you go without knowing where you're going. You do it on that basis or not at all. Now, honored to be asked, but not exactly sure of what they're committing to, both of these young men agree to go on the mission, and they do go eventually. This actually happens in history. They go to Japan on a bombing mission on April the 18th of 1942, and it's known as Doolittle's Raid. Now, that's faith, going where you're not exactly sure you're going. That's faith. And that's largely at the heart of greatness. That's what makes for heroes. That's actually how wars are won. And so to this day, you go to the National Museum, the, the United States Museum of the United States Air Force, which is located over in uh, Dayton, Ohio, or near Dayton, Ohio, and you can see dioramas of this event. You can see the planes that were flown in Doolittle's raid, and you can see, you know, Colonel Doolittle, who does not look at all like any of the actors and you see all this stuff why do we celebrate this because it's amazing when people step out in powerful ways trusting appropriately in what they should trust that's how wars are won that's how advances happen and i bring all this up to say in much the same way that colonel doolittle recruited these two pilots god comes to you and god comes to me and he trains us in unique ways because he's got a unique mission in mind. And then he sends us out without us knowing very much, if anything, about specifically where God is taking us. But here's the thing. You do it on that basis or you don't do it at all. And that's why steps of faith are so important. When we're talking about taking steps of faith, I don't want to communicate to you that you need to take a step of faith or, or else, you know, you're not going to enjoy life as much as if the whole world revolved around you. It doesn't. The reason we're talking about steps of faith is because faith is the necessary thing that has to happen so as to achieve greatness for God in order for the Lord to be glorified. It's the necessary thing that you have to exercise so as to be a part of of a grander mission that God is accomplishing in this world. That's why all of this is so important. And if you don't take the steps of faith that God is calling you to take, then not only are we losing ground, but you're kind of in the way. That's what gets communicated to us in the book of Hebrews. If you've been given a faith step to take and you don't take it, we lose that brings us back to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And we've been talking about faith and the nature of faith and 
that faith isn't blind or irrational or silly or ridiculous. And, and we talked about Enoch and Abel and Noah. And today what we're doing is we're coming to a really important character. His name is Abraham. In fact, Abraham is given more press in this great faith chapter of the Bible, more press than any other character, and he deserves it because 18 chapters of the book of Genesis are dedicated to the story of Abraham's life. So I'm kind of excited about this. And uh, what we get in the first few verses about Abraham here in verses 8 through 10 is sort of a thumbnail sketch of the entirety of Abraham's life. So let's read that together. In fact, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. We're going to read verse 8 all the way actually up through verse 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past Age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, this morning, obviously, we're going to be talking about how to take a step of faith. But before we get into how to take a step of faith, let's just acknowledge something very plainly. Taking a faith step is not a naturally easy thing to do. In fact, if you're here today saying, I'm taking a a faith step, and it's a really comfortable faith step, I doubt that you're taking a step of faith. You may be taking a wise step or making a good move for you, and that's okay. But if you're talking about a faith step, it's never a comfortable step to take. Let's think about the example of Abraham. Let's think of his situation. Abraham, we know that when he was called, he was about 70 years of age, and he was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, that's a city in Mesopotamia, and apparently it was the best city of the day. It was prosperous, the economy was booming, and they were progressive. In fact, the University of uh, Pennsylvania, together with um, the British Museum, they did some excavations there, and they discovered something kind of interesting. They discovered evidence of the first high-rise buildings in the ancient world. They also discovered two-story dwellings that were single-family units. There were mansions, and it's quite possible that Abraham lived in one of those places. And when God came to Abraham, who was living in in Ur of the Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Georgetown of Mesopotamia, because everybody wanted to move there, he was was not maybe naturally necessarily inclined to move because it was a great hometown. Here's what I want you to see. Abraham was comfortable. 
By, by our standards, you would say that Abraham was in a comfortable, secure situation with a, a certain future. And God comes to him at the age of 70, which we know, you know, at the age of 70, you're not necessarily prone to move. You're not quite as flexible. But God comes to him at the age of 70 and says, get out. Get out of your security. Get out of your comfort. Get out of your safety. Get out. Now, how do you do that? That's the question. When we're talking about how do you take a step of faith, we're not talking about little things like, oh, I'm taking a risk in the stock market or I made this call as opposed to this call because I'm coaching my son's little league football team or whatever it is. We're talking about how do you do that? How do you move from what's comfortable and safe and secure and known and familiar and recognizable? How do you take a real step of faith? That's the question. Now, in this text, what we see are, are three key ingredients to taking a step of faith. And let's go with the first key ingredient in this way. Let's go ahead and read once again verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It doesn't just say that Abraham went out. It says that he went out not knowing where he went. He went out not knowing where he was going. As a matter of fact, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, this wonderful hometown, God says, get out. He doesn't know where he's going for several years. God doesn't actually tell Abraham where he's going until his father Terah dies. Five years later, he went out without knowing where he was going. Now, there's a principle here, and we'll put the principle like this. To take a step of faith, you must step out without needing to know where you're going because you don't care where you're going because your life is not dependent upon circumstances. Now, I want to spend some time on this because this runs entirely contrary, not just to our culture, but I think probably to human nature. The way the thinking goes commonly in most of our heads is this. Whether or not I have a successful life is going to come down to what happens to me to how much I possess, to how much I gain, to the events of my life or the circumstances in my life. How my life goes all comes down to what happens to me, the events, the circumstances. And that's why people are so reluctant to move. That's why people are reluctant to go. That's why people are always hedging their bets and reluctant to take a step because we want to know exactly what the circumstances are going to be when we get there and that's why we don't leave because we are straining and striving to see the future so we can judge on the basis of circumstances whether or not we want to go. Abraham, on the other hand, knows if you're living your life dependent on circumstances, your life's already ruined. You're an accident waiting to happen because life never gives you perfect circumstances. You're going to get hit up with some circumstances, some brutal circumstances, and you're not going to be ready for them because you can't stand against those circumstances when you're standing on circumstances as the foundation of your life. Your foundation is all wrong and then the wrong circumstances come and you can't resist those because those are the very things that you're depending on for meaning in your life. Abraham recognizes, I'm not moving forward in life dependent upon circumstances. What really matters is not what happens to me. It's what I bring to life. It's not the events that are so important. It's what I bring to those events. Or put a little bit differently, Abraham recognized, here's what really matters. My obedience, 
It's my faith response to God that matters, not the circumstances. It's the going that's all important, not the happenings when I get there. This is much the same as what Jesus Christ communicates on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. This is largely what Jesus is communicating when he says things like, If you want to find your life, here's what you do. You lose your life for my sake, and then you'll find your life. If you want a life, you've got to go at it like Abraham went at it, like Jesus would go at it. You've got to say, God, you are more important than life. If I don't have you, I don't have life. Your loving kindness is greater than life. If you don't go at life like that, you're missing life. Don't look to your circumstances as the thing that is going to make or break your life. Don't trust in your circumstances. Don't put so much weight there. One of the sad things for me is as I am approaching middle age, and I'm almost there. As I'm getting closer and closer, it's becoming a little bit more disconcerting to me as I see people who are younger who will frequently make this mistake of trying to organize all of their circumstances in just the right way because they're thinking, if I just get everything to be just right, then my life will be just right. As if we can actually control the circumstances and events of our lives. We have so little control over our lives, it's amazing. But we live under this illusion, I'm just going to bring all the circumstances to be just right, and when everything's just right, then my life's going to come together. And that's why people aren't getting married to the 40, and they, start, they don't have kids until they're 50. And I'm just thinking, you know, you've been missing life because you're trying to get all your circumstances to be just right. And then when you approach midlife, like I'm approaching it, you begin to see, you know... I'm not so sure that I can get all the little events and circumstances to be just according to my choosing. And, you know, I'm not so sure I need all the little events and circumstances to be just according to my choosing because what I most need more than anything else is to develop the greatness of heart and the greatness of spirit to be able to deal with whatever life throws in my direction in terms of the circumstances. Don't spend so much time trying to organize and administrate your, your life and, 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 and get all the circumstances and events to line up just like you choose. Spend more time cultivating a Christ-like heart, the greatness of spirit that Abraham had. Don't trust in your circumstances. Don't look at the events as if they matter all that much. It's not what happens to you that makes or breaks you. It's what you bring to your life. Abraham gets it. And so if you're going to take a step of faith, it cuts right to the heart of your character and your nature and your outlook on life. If you're going to take a step of faith, the first and foremost thing you've got to understand is you've got to step out without needing to know where it's going. You don't have to know where it's going because your life is not dependent upon circumstances. Now maybe you're one of these people that you just don't trust in your circumstance. Maybe you're one of these people and, and you are not counting on, you're not banking on a bunch of happy events happening in your life so as to make you happy. Maybe you're one of these people that says, you know, I just don't trust circumstances and, and, and I know I don't have that much control and stuff happens that we don't like and everybody's got problems and you also say, hey, and sometimes I do get what I want and I shouldn't have wanted it and even when I do get what I wanted, it is what I thought it was. It doesn't satisfy deeply and it doesn't satisfy that long and so You just don't trust circumstances. I just want you to know, if you're that person, 
praise God. I thank God for you. You're so much easier to be around for the rest of us. I'm not kidding. You're better for society. You don't have unrealistic expectations. You're living like an adult. You know, you, you, you don't have these unrealistic expectations that, that life and the universe and God and America owes you perfect circumstances. I'm just so grateful for you. But having said all that, it is entirely possible to sort of live on the negative side of things where all you say is, you know, I don't trust circumstances, so I'm not giving my heart to this, and I'm not putting my hope in that. I just, you know, I just don't trust all that, you know, whatever. I'm just, whatever happens, this happens, and whatever. It's entirely possible to not trust in circumstances, and all, all you are is jaded. You're just a stoic. You've emotionally detached, and you're, you're cynical and kind of unfeeling. That is not the path to greatness. You know people like that. They're just kind of checked out. They're, just, they're kind of hard. And, you know, they're a little, little bit cynical. That, that alone is not going to bring a greatness of spirit. I thought this was kind of interesting. I was reading something from Scott Cerno about this, and he says, when it comes to cynicism, it's kind of like being stricken by frostbite. You know what frostbite is? It, the, the, the key uh, element or the key symptom of frostbite is a deadening numbness. You just don't feel anything. Now, I've never known anybody with frostbite until about three weeks ago or so. Mike Leeds told me the story about how he was skiing up, I don't know, near Breckenridge, and he was on a really, really long ski lift, and it was 30 below zero. I mean, it's super cold, and he should not have gone out. But when you make that investment, you go that far, he's like, I want to do it anyways. And so he's on... He's on going up the ski lift. And when he gets to the top, he's totally frozen. And somebody says, you've got frostbite. I said, what? Yeah. His nose on, on one side had turned entirely white. Couldn't feel it. Immediately went back down, tried to warm up. And, and over the period of the next 30 days, finally recovered, saved his nose. Let me tell you what. When your nose falls off, it's not a nose of greatness. Uh, okay. So I don't want to press the metaphor too far, but you don't have greatness simply because you've hardened yourself and you become emotionally detached and cynical and jaded. What the Bible teaches is if you're going to be great, what Jesus teaches is if there's greatness in store for you, your life was intended to move forward, to look forward. If you don't see an overarching dream that somehow in a real sense is intersecting with your future horizon, you're not going to live a great life. Because it's not enough to not give your heart to something. You do have to give your heart to something. And the something to which we are to give our hearts is this secure, promised, future hope. Abraham lives in that way. He lives forward, trusting in, looking for, yearning for, the Bible says, his true country. And it's not just Abraham who's doing this. Everybody does this. That's why we read a little further than maybe we should have anticipated. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had, had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Like Abraham, they were looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is the very deliberate thing that believers intentionally do. We know as citizens of heaven, and only because we're citizens of heaven, are we going to be good earthly citizens. 
you cannot, unless you have the ultimate hope, unless you know ultimately where you're going, not immediately where you're going or going the next day or the next day, unless you know ultimately where you're going, you're going to have a hard time letting go of a knowledge of where you're immediately going or going tomorrow or the next day or the next day. It's going to drive you crazy. You can't just live for the moment. That's not going to make you great. And you can't just distance yourself from the entirety of the world. That doesn't make you great either. But you've got to have that ultimate hope and that ultimate security so that you can live forward hopefully. That's where greatness comes from in Abraham, and that's where greatness comes from for you and for me. Let me put it to you like this. How do you really think you're going to have the strength to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Mark brought that up last week. We're to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Jesus has made us that way. How do you do that, really? How in the world can you hope to possibly, effectively, consistently, with strength, stand up against injustice in this world and in this community? Or to stand up against abuse or violence in your household or extended family or school? Or to speak out appropriately against dishonesty in your particular professional environment. Or maybe to raise your voice against the increasingly irrational tide of political correctness or whatever the case is. How is it that you are going to consistently, with strength, speak up when you need to speak up and live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world? How are you going to do this? Well, here's how. You've got to be comfortable with losing. You've got to be comfortable in giving up some things, maybe losing some influence, losing some connection, losing a little power, losing a little status, maybe losing a little money. And that's, I don't even have to convince you of this because you know deep down inside that goes to the heart of your fear. Some of you, you know, the reason that that you kind of want to walk around with your head down and not with your voice lifted up is because if you're going to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world where you are, it's going to cost you something and you have to be comfortable with losing. How are you going to get comfortable with losing? Here's how. You've got to start looking at your status and your reputation and your money or connections or whatever it is. You've got to start looking at the entirety of your life as the pocket change. When your real riches are in another country, safe and secure in that Swiss bank. Okay, let me go at it like this. Suppose you've got $200 cash in your pocket, but you've got $5 billion of gold in a vault in a Swiss bank. Someone comes along and they steal your 200 bucks out of your, out of your pocket, pickpocket. How do you respond? Are you completely undone? No. Not if you remember you've got $5 billion stuck in the bank. You're not undone. I mean, it's annoying. Yeah. It, are, is there indignation? Well, sure. You're not happy. That was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. What a jerk. But your life is not undone. But what if, actually... The $200, that's, that's the whole wad. That's everything you have, and they steal that out of your wallet. Well, one of two things is going to happen. 
If you are kind of cynical, if you are sort of a stoic, you're just going to be deepened in your cynicism, and you're going to say, yeah, I, I knew it. I can't trust anything in this world. I should just live detached, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and you become even more emotionally distant and detached and jaded. Or you're just completely a wreck because you recognize everything you had is now gone. Do you see the difference it makes recognizing that you've got all your real money stuck somewhere else. Abraham did not go through life thinking that where he was in the moment was the whole wad. What if we remembered that all the riches of Christ, they belong to us? What if we remembered that this is not our country? It's not our home. We're just passing through. Abraham refused to say, you know, where I am right now, my country, my life, my family, my culture, my ethnicity, my status, my reputation, my power, my sheep, all my resources. That's the whole wad. Everything, that's, that's everything I have. He doesn't go through life like that. He recognized where I am now is nothing compared to where I am going. I'm just passing through. This is just the bus station. It's like, a, it's like the airport. Who wants to live in an airport? How many of y'all here have ever been stuck in an airport? You had to sleep in an airport overnight. I'm just kind of curious. We've got a few people here. It's the worst. Nobody wants to live in an airport, I don't think. Although I did some serious research on this, which means I Googled it. And I found that there was a guy down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, who's been living in the international airport there for 17 years by choice every day. Now, the people around him like him, but they all universally have the same appraisal. He's crazy. You don't want to choose to live in an airport. If you're not taking the step that you need to take, that God has called you to take, you know the reason for this. You've lost perspective. Really, that's it. You've lost perspective. You've started looking at this as your home. That this is your destination. That where you are now and what you have now, that's the whole ball of wax. That's not true. You've lost perspective. It reminds me of this guy who had his whole life wrapped up in his career and his possessions and the things of this world. And he's driving home after work one night. And he's, he's in his Lamborghini and he's going really fast and he's going around this curve. And, and he recognizes he's starting to lose control and he's, he's, about, he's got a bail or, or he's going to go over the cliff along with his car. And so as soon as the car starts tipping over the cliff, he jumps out. And as he jumps out, the car grabs him by the left arm and rips it off. He's standing there at the edge of the cliff looking down at his car and he's crying my car my car somebody else has stopped to help this man and and he points out to the young man he says mister you're missing your left arm and you're crying about your car and then the man looks down at where his left arm used to be and he says my rolex my rolex that's losing perspective okay let's bring it back here's the question the question is how do I take a step of faith? It's real simple. And these two things are actually tied together. The first thing is you've got to step out without needing to know where you're going because you don't care where you're going because your life is not based on your circumstances. But closely tied to this, you've also got to step out remembering this isn't your home. This isn't your country. You're citizens of heaven. And you're heading to a city that God is building with true foundations. The streets are gold. The foundations are made of jewels. That's your home. Now, there's one other thing that we have to mention, which let me just kind of mention this just real quickly. You, you go, well, but that just doesn't... When you try to explain 
Abraham to people who are just getting to know Abraham, it's, it's a little weird. And here's why. Most of us are saying, okay, Abraham, why did you leave Ur? You know, to, if you don't know where you're going, it's pretty hard to explain to people whose lives are all wrapped up in circumstance. I remember years ago, I was about Brad's age. Gene and I had Nathan, and another one was on the way. She's now over here, 18, beautiful and wonderful. And we were in a situation where we were in a church that was running actually more people than Main Street. And I was 30 years old. And I knew that God was calling me to go. And to most people, it made no sense. I was so glad at that time that my father-in-law, who was a, a real tough sergeant in the Marines, I'm so glad he was living a thousand miles away at the time because I couldn't explain it other than I knew where God was leading me to go. And we went. And at the time, I might have had a difficult time really explaining it to anybody other than this. It's what God wants me to do. I could kind of go, well, there's this and this. and It's like, this is what God wants me to do. And we left going, not knowing where we were going or how things were going to work out. And a few weeks later, we started a church outside in a park under a tree. I'm so glad. Did I say I was so glad that, that my father-in-law was a thousand miles away? You know, that's, that's how faith works. Because you have a choice sometimes, and the choice goes like this. It's either you pursue the kingdom or you pursue all these other things. It's either you do what God wants or you base your life on circumstances. Oftentimes, the faith step that you come to, it's just that clear. I'm either doing what God wants me to do or I'm doing what makes sense to me because I'm going to choose to walk by sight, not by faith. But that's not pleasing to God. I am a, you know, I love Brad and his family. They've meant so much to us. But you know what? My esteem for Brad has actually only increased. You know why? Because the decision on his part was pretty much this simple. This, I think this is what God wants me to do. Now you can say, well, there's this reason, this reason. It comes right down to something as simple as this. I'm stepping out on faith. I know, I know God's leading me. I'm going. That's an example. That's an example. And if you've ever taken a step like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to see where everything is leading. You don't have to know where everything is going. You don't have to. If you're convinced that God is leading you to do something, you know what you do? You go. Because Abraham is right. What's most important is not where you go. It's just the going when God calls. It's not that complicated. Now, there's a, a third ingredient that's really important for us to, to keep in mind. And we're going to spend some time on this in future weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. But I do need to mention this before we get to the time of communion. And it comes to us, this principle, in verse 11. Let's go ahead and read this again. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father. Why? 
because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. This is where our hearts have to rest. Because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Incredible things happened. You know why? Because Abraham considered God faithful. Our faith is always tied to the faithfulness of the one in whom we place our faith. And as the video showed earlier, there is none more faithful than God because he has the love and he has the power. Now, if Abraham considered God faithful, how much more so should we? Because look, you know, do you, do you remember? If you're going to step out of faith, you've got you to step out without knowing where you're going. You've got to step out remembering this isn't your home. And you've got to step out remembering the faithfulness of God, especially the faithfulness of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I just cannot think of anyone who's been more faithful than Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you so much for, for calling us. And it is a little unnerving for us to relinquish control of our lives to go without know, knowing where we're going. But we go on that basis or we don't go at all. And maybe the reason you don't give us more information than, than you do is because it just cuts to the very heart of faith. We, we, we have faith in you, not faith in where you're taking us. There is a difference. And you're faithful. We ought to be good privates when we recognize the cause of which we're a part, when we recognize that the one who is giving us the commands actually submitted himself to the ultimate command. In fact, Christ, we know you're in some respects the ultimate Abraham. You, you foreshadowed. Abraham foreshadowed you. You left a home so much better than, than Ur of the Chaldeans, and you left a throne of glory, a position of power and prominence, and, and you, you made yourself a a nomad, a wanderer in this place that was a garden but was turned into a desert by our sin. And you made, this out, you made this your home so that we could live in the home that was rightfully yours. And throughout the journey, we know you lived to do the Father's will. You weren't concerned about the circumstances, even when you got to the point of knowing that the the cross was in store for you just hours away. You still pray, not my will, but thine be done. Because your whole life, your whole life, even to the point of death, was wrapped up in doing the Father's will. Because like Abraham, you knew, and even more so, that when it all comes right down to it, the going matters more than the destination. And as a result, you were lifted up, you were exalted on high, and you deserve it. You're not just our ultimate example in all this. You're the ultimate friend. Help us, Lord, to not just wise up, but to stop insulting you in the disobedience. But Lord, even when we are unfaithful, you're still faithful. 
You, you, even while we were still sinners, you died for us. Even in our rebellion, you still went the distance. And even now, even when we do n- not act faithfully, you're still faithful to us. May your faithfulness break us as we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.